everybody, and welcome to the Spoiler Warning Podcast. This is review number 675 with a review of The Green Knight. I'm Christopher Schnezzi. And I'm Stephen Miller. And if you're joining us for the first time, the Spoiler Warning Podcast is a weekly film review program. Each week in the show, we're going to dive in, debate, discuss, and argue over the latest films coming to a streaming platform near you. Um, this week, we, uh, we're talking about a film that was going to come to a one-night-only streaming platform near you, and then just got, you know, unceremoniously released on all platforms for you to purchase or not purchase, but also rent uh, the night after we watched it. Um, so we didn't have to cut into that super window, but we finally got to see it. And that is, we're talking about the green Knight, um, a film, you know, based off our theory and legend. And uh, it is you know, the latest film from a 24. And I think at least for me, I don't know about you, Steven, this was like the first film in a while that I was actively disappointed that I wasn't going to get to see it in theaters. Yep. Um, I think when, you know, when that trailer first came out, I was like, holy shit, this is going to be great. Our theater is going to be a thing again when this comes out. I think it I think it officially came out the weekend of my birthday. And I was like, oh, my God, you're really going to drop this movie that I'm super excited about on the weekend of my birthday. And I'm not going to go to a theater and see it. This is terrible. And I was just waiting for it to come out. Um, but all that being said, I wanted to ask you, Stephen, uh, what your experience was uh, watching this through the A24 app. And whether the presentation of the film gave you a little bit of that theatrical nostalgia sort of feeling. Um, yeah. I, I I know exactly what you mean. Um, <laughs> so the, the A24 app, I did it on the Apple TV app that they have. Yep. And I love that there is an app that at least because A24 screening room only exists for one movie at a time. It is an app that is only meant to show you this movie. Um, yeah. I, I really enjoyed that. Like, it felt so easy <laughs> right off the bat. Um, this is presented with a little bit of an intro, then the movie plays, and then at the end of the movie uh, is Ralph Innocent, who plays the Green Knight, reading a selection of Tolkien's translation of the Sir Gawain and the Green Knight poem. And that tickled me to no end. I really enjoyed the fact that they made it a whole kind of production around the movie uh, yeah. just to get you in the mood. Yeah, I, I think for me, like, as you said, this is an app that, you know, you, you log in and you just get that nice banner and you're sitting there waiting. You, you don't have a countdown clock, but it has a time when your movie will become available for you. And it's kind of like I popped that in, saw that banner. And I was like, yeah, this is like it's like going to the movies again. And I, I was like already pumped a little bit. And then when that intro happened and it was just like that thing where it's like you're watching something that's not technically related to the movie, but it's one of the yeah. actors in a place that looks vaguely like it could be yep. around the smoking, time smoking a pipe that looks like a character <laughs> in the movie yeah I, I was like man this is fucking rad and i am excited it like i think it really set the tone for sitting down to really enjoying this film and i think that like you know you know I, i've been so grateful that we have been able to experience streaming for the last year two years or whatever it is um and but there's always something lacking, right? It's just a little bit different. Like even when you're like throwing it up on a projector, um, it just it doesn't feel the same. And this at least yeah. put me in the right headspace, I think, to watch this film. Um, yeah. And yeah, I just I just had fun with it. <laughs> if if I can do one minor criticism though, this movie a lot of it is quite dark, and I feel like the streaming, however they encoded it for streaming, was very crunchy around dark scenes in a way that made me think like, man, I wish I were in a theater because I know that this is a compression artifact and not an intentional look and feel of the movie. Yeah. Darkness or fog. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of fog in this movie. Yeah. And of, of course I can, I can like, you know, separate myself from that. I can watch the movie imagining how it was intended. Like, I don't think it ruins it that much for me, but that was one of those times where I was like, man, they really could have like, crank that encoder up a little bit more like they didn't need to compress it this much they could have come on a24 this is your movie you can you can do some 4k streaming yeah yeah cool um well we shouldn't dally anymore steven um yeah uh what do you say we get into this review let's do it all right we're going to take a listen to the trailer for the green knight and then we're going to come back and give you a review friends Brothers and sisters, who can regale me and my queen with some myth?
Ortega. Before we get started, that trailer is so fucking good. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, I think this trailer is on board with uh, Terminator Salvation as, like, one of my kind of favorite, like, perfect song choice, perfect, like, way to sort of skim through all the bit, bit uh, the bits of whatever you're about to watch. Um, man. Oh, I, I agree. Gets me going. <laughs> but anyways, that was the trailer for The Green Knight. Um, it is a film that is an adaptation of Sir Gawain and The Green Knight, um, which is an old Arthurian tale, uh, which is basically about a... A, well, in this case, it is about a man who wants to become a great knight. And one day um, uh, at Christmas time, this giant hulking green knight comes in and offers to play a game where if somebody can land a blow on him, uh, he will return the favor a year later. And it is about uh, this man, uh, Sir Gawain, who lands a blow on him. And it's sort of him trying to complete this game that has sort of been put on him and uh, try to maybe... Uh, find his way into becoming a knight. <laughs> Stephen Miller, what did you think of The Green Knight? Uh, well, first, in the context of reviewing this movie, my name is pronounced Sturfin. Uh, I'd appreciate if you would <laughs> say that. Um, I thought The Green Knight was fantastic. It, I, I thought it was so interesting. I'm not sure what the trailer made you think. For me, I knew it was, this is David Lowry. This is the guy who did a ghost story. I am assuming that this movie, whatever big budget trappings it has, will be a little bit contemplative, a little bit of a mood piece, and may not unfold as like a grand adventure. Um, I think maybe an audience who is not prepared for that could be disappointed if they are expecting to see a kind of big, epic, you know, fight romance type movie and instead getting something as a odd as this but i thought it was completely lovely i feel like it it really flows with the cadence of a myth it feels like a a story that has been passed down by oral tradition and it is contradictory it timing doesn't always make sense characters come in and out with motivations that are not always clear um, and it is just kind of awe-inspiring in how puzzling and unique it is. I, I think there's just something very, very, very powerful about the way this movie is made. And it, it worked on me. Like, the the movie opens, we all saw it in the trailer. This is a trailer I did watch. Um, <laughs> we all saw the Green Knight enter the room, you know, with the Knights of the Round Table. 
and the game ensue. And we all know his head's going to get cut off and he's going to ride away. Like, it's in the trailer. We all know it. Watching it happen in the movie, even though I had seen that trailer many times, it is so captivating. Just something about the the sustained mood that David Lowry brings to that room. Um, how, like, grizzled Sean Harris's um, King Arthur looks. How gray and just seedy everything is in there. And then the feeling for the first time, maybe like 20 minutes into the movie, when uh, Gawain or Garwin... Um, leaves he goes outside and suddenly we are in ireland in the fog and the outdoors and how completely different that looks from everything inside the castle um it just makes it feel like you're in a a game with a like almost infinite world to explore and it just felt very exciting to watch him go through different places i love the like the look and feel of the movie, all, all like the different locations had their own aesthetic. Um, he meets a person named Winifred at some point in this movie, and it feels very much like a like a creepy ghost story. There are things being shot underwater. There are giants shrouded in fog. There are like people, thieves who are stealing from him in a creepy forest. There's the fox. There's just so many things that I feel like this movie pieces together from myth and old art and paintings and stuff and just makes you feel like you are in one of them. And I thought it was just really, really, really brilliant. And I like, I like the subject matter a lot. It's very much about like time and legend and what will you be remembered for and what is the value in being remembered very much like a ghost story you know like it's kind of covering similar terrain um but here i think like grounding it in dev patel's epic quest while also making it so illogical and his whole quest is basically to die at least as far as he knows and i just think it is a i i thought it was brilliant i was so happy that i got to see this movie yeah, I mean, th this is a, this is a very interesting film, and I have a lot of different thoughts about it. <laughs> mm. um, first of all, as I said, like this trailer is so amazing. Like, I, I, my expectations, I understood as somebody who did not like a ghost story, I understood that I should like have my expectations set for the type of film I was going to watch. Um, but I think that the like this is a this is a beautiful film like every shot is amazing and even if you just like search for any article that anybody's done a write-up of and just look at a screenshot of any moment of this film even if it's just two people standing next to each other in a castle somewhere it, it just looks amazing and looks epic and has that sort of that like a, a like a grand night tale feeling just from the visuals of it and beyond that the the uh, otherworldly nature of a lot of these scenes looks amazing and beautiful as well. Like, I think from the opening of this film, I was extremely captivated. And, and I will be 100% honest, I do not know that half of the feeling of this film doesn't come simply from Sean Harris and Ralph Innocent's voices. Like, they, yeah. like, I don't even think I would be able to watch this film with other people cast in those roles. Like, they sound so just... Like and that's one of the things too is I really wish that I could have seen this in like I, I I watched it with headphones on it so I did get a lot of that full body feeling but being able to really really feel the voice and like the rattle in your chair in a theater when like the talking is happening from the Green Knight specifically um, yeah. would have been super epic but yeah I, I mean Ralph Innocent was like meant to be in these old timey English things like in The Witch too yeah. it's just like he he nails that feeling of like you you crawled out of a gothic painting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, even when I think of The Witch, of all the things I think of, I think of him praying at the beginning of the trailer. <laughs> like, just because his voice is like, oh yeah, we're in some serious shit right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so, so anyways, I, I, I really, really enjoyed, um, like, the total beginning of this film. Like, all the way up until, um, like the end of the game, right? I was like, holy shit, this is the greatest movie I've ever seen. This is amazing. But I was also entering this film without any context for the original story of Sir Gawain and the, the Green Knight. Right. Um, so I was just taking the, 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 
Green Knight at his word at what the game is. And kind of what I was expecting from this film is that this person, we, we, we establish a character who is not a knight, who dreams of being a knight, who is the nephew of the king, um, who happens to be King Arthur. And like his whole goal is uh, maybe one day I'll become a knight. He is entered into this game where this formidable thing being says, I will give you my weapon if you best me in this combat. And then... You know, the combat ensues, and as you as you have already stated, we see that he beheads the, the person. What I expected from that moment forward is now I'm gonna watch this year of time and how this man rose through the ranks uh, and like basically became the head of like Arthur's uh like knights, right? Because like that's essentially what the game is, right? I will give you this great weapon and you will be able to be a great man. But they just put it in a box and he goes back to what he is doing every day. And I was kind of like, what the, did he not understand the game? Yeah. Yeah. I never <laughs> interpreted the game that way. So like, I mean, like, I, I mean, I also, I play a lot of video games <laughs> and like, that is the type of thing, right? Is you are ill-equipped. You defeat a thing, you defeat a boss and you get the boss's weapon, right? Like that, that's essentially what all games do. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> right um so it's like i i was i was so perplexed at what this character what gawain was doing not wielding that axe all the time <laughs> moving forward right um because essentially you are to, to me you are getting something for a period of time and then your expectation is death so what do you do with that time frame do you just squander a year of your life and then die at the end of it like i didn't understand what was going forward um and then he sets off on, on his adventure and um you know his adventure is a series of tests <laughs> right. um i'll say i think it's not too spoilery to say and what the filmmakers decide to do with the tests and the results of those tests i found baffling and i, I so halfway through the movie i was like I think this movie is really rad, but I think I might just not like the story. Um, so I, I was very, I was kind of not, I, I, I was just not vibing with sort of the journey he's going on. Um, and then, of course, I love the end of the film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but during the middle of parts of the film, it wasn't that the scenes as they played out didn't work for me. It was that I just, I was like, something feels wrong and I don't like is this the real story? So after the film ended, I went and purchased the Kindle book of, <laughs> of Tolkien's translation of, of it. And I read through the story and I was like, Oh, I know why I didn't like the middle of this film because it wildly different from what the story altogether. And I think that I really like, and I say this as somebody who didn't study the story, but I really like what the original text was doing. And I, I, I do actually like how Lowry tries to change the story or how, how the film in general is trying to change it by taking it from being a knight who is basically Captain America, who has to be tested in order to learn his faults and like not get taken down a peg, but like understand that he is a fallible human being. Like that journey is one thing in here, having it be a person who is technically like supposed to be uh, a knight simply by blood. Like he has some sort of right to be a king and him having to earn his stripes and become a knight as somebody who has failed to become a knight thus far. Like I really like that adaptation, but I think where the story goes and how it changes from the tests in the original text to the tests and tests that he goes through in here I felt like where they tried to take the original text in are all the scenes that didn't really make sense to me. And, but like in the original story, I was like, okay, cool. I really get this character. So I, I think for me, the middle section where, is where most of the freedom is and liberties are taken with the story, um, I, I kind of spent time wondering what I was watching. And then, but like the beginning and the end felt like so amazing to me that it's still like everything from the beauty of the story to, you know, um, just like the actual what is happening in the beginning of the film and the end of the film, I think just is exactly what I wanted from this film. Um, so I, in the end, I really, really enjoyed this film. Um, and it made me go back and read the original story. So I have like a better depth of knowledge of like what it was trying to do at different times. Um, but it definitely perplexed me in the center of the film. If I'm yeah, honest, what, what a mic drop to have gone back and read like <laughs> Tolkien's translation of the, I like, I have certainly never read 
uh, the source material at all. I did look at like a Vox explainer that Alyssa Wilkinson wrote after the fact, yeah. just to get get a feel for it. Um, like it, it, it's interesting that the original story flowed better or made more sense to you because my hunch was that like there are multiple legends around uh, Gawain and the Green Knight. And this movie is kind of playing with the idea of legend. And it's saying, like, in order to really understand these old, like, Chaucer time type plays, the best way to do it is to see it as a bunch of fables or parables that don't really connect to each other or that aren't fluid. And it is interesting if the source material did actually feel connected to you. Like, like that, that makes his decision to do that more interesting to me. Well, so, so his, his, what he's doing is bringing in other tales from the time of the areas that could theoretically have happened in the same moment, and he's weaving them into the story. So it, it's, it's not specifically... Like St. Winifred, right? She, yeah, yeah. she doesn't have anything to do with the, the story of Gawain and the Green Knight. Yeah, but he's like weaving in the idea of what if she did, <laughs> because she could have. Um, which, yeah. which, which I... I, I I'm 100% on board with the merits of what is going. Um, we can have like a spoiler section where we can kind of like dive into the to, to the details of what bothered me yeah. and what didn't bother me. Um, but, I, but I think in general, this film is doing something incredibly interesting and it's doing it visually like in an amazing way that kept me drawn in, um, but definitely made me like, I knew halfway through the movie I was going to go read the original story <laughs> because yeah. I wanted that context to know if this is how it actually went down because certain things really bugged me about like the way the story was transpiring. <laughs> yeah. So one, one thing that I wanted to highlight, um, the movie does it a few times. I'm, I guess we'll have a spoiler section so we can describe how it does it. But there are a few actresses that show up in multiple roles. Um, I, one of them might be the same role. I don't know. Like we we can uh, we can discuss it in spoilers. Um, but one person, I don't think it would be too spoilery to say Alicia Vikander shows up twice in this movie. Thankfully, like I think when when you realize the first role is her and how little that role has to say. Yep. It's kind of like, okay, I can see why you took it now. You have a really meaty monologue later in this movie as a different character. <laughs> is is meaty um, a double entendre? <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> um, I'm in, well, in particular, like, there's a, a scene that her character has that is basically her version of uh, the party in a ghost story where Will Oldham talks about how, like, you're all going to die and all symphonies will go unheard and the universe is going to, you know contract and then what happened she has I this amazing about that scene until just now yeah well because she has this amazing one that is like that about like why is the night green and it's like green is the color of what's left after passion when we all die and it's going to cover your tomb and it, she's like so menacing and i like I, I just feel like every actor in this movie knows exactly what they are in and steers toward it like i like joel edgerton as the lord which this is another place where my understanding is the source material differs from the movie in terms of what it's hinting at. Yeah. Um, I, I really like Barry Keegan. It feels like he was born to be like a little thieving scavenger in one of these <laughs> medieval movies. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I just thought it was so cool. Like even things that I knew were going to happen, like I knew the giants were going to show up and I don't, I don't want to spoil too much, but like a lot of these cool things they do not exist much longer than the trailer shows them. Yeah. It isn't like there is a whole subplot that we never get to see that is like 30 minutes with the giants or anything. And, and but, in, in the original text too, it is the, the presentation of the game and then it's immediately he goes on his journey and mm -hmm. there is like one pair, I mean, stanza verse, whatever you want to call it. It's a poem. So whatever. Um, there is one grouping of text that says like there were all kinds of creatures and blah 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 and then basically he arrives at joel edgerton's castle thing um and then that part of the story happens so it's like there is no journey in the book it's only hinted at all the different things he probably saw on that journey he basically immediately cuts to encountering those people in that castle or manor or whatever joel edgerton owns um and then you watch that play out as he spends like the three days before the end of the year um, before he's supposed to go to the chapel. Um, so it's like a very interesting, like I, I read it 
across two nights and i literally read it in those chunks like i was like the game yeah. cool he's gonna set on his journey i'll finish that one tomorrow after work and then um boom it's like okay cool so now i understand <laughs> what's what is story in- and what interesting. is interesting so so in the epic play i guess him being like this honorable and pure person being tested is a bigger part of it in in the original poem yeah because he like like i said earlier he is i think i said it earlier but he's basically captain america he is yeah. like like the perfect soldier who only wants to do good and like he's not going to do anything shady because he is like a man of his word and he is like he is he is the perfect upstanding knight and he you know all the tests that this character experiences in the film are different than the tests he receives in the original story um, because it's specifically testing his knightlyhood and his chivalry and everything and in this film it's other things (laughs) yeah yeah yeah, that that is interesting to me because I um something that I found cool about David Lowry's story is everyone what is known about them is basically a lie, right? Like like Dev Patel, uh, his character, you know, being this like chivalrous, pure whatever person of myth, the first time we see him, I'm pretty sure he's in a brothel. Right? Yeah, yeah. Like he he is like <laughs> What gave it away, not- Steven? There was clearly like a bunch of naked people and he was drunk. Yep. And <laughs> Hey, I, I don't know how people dress back then. But yeah, ba- true, basically true. he's he he is in a brothel and he is dating who I assume to be a prostitute who lives there, played by Lisa Vikander. Yeah. Um, and like and then, you know, King Arthur is this frail old man, clearly can't do anything, even though Barry Keegan is still describing how the king single-handedly slayed 900 people or whatever. Um, <laughs> and, like, everyone, like, what is known about them has nothing to do with reality. It's all about the story that they craft for themselves. Yeah. And to me, the puzzle of this movie, and I'm curious if it's a puzzle in the poem, too, is why would he go on this quest? Like, isn't this quest one big argument by contradiction that honor is a joke right like if your honor means like the only way you can be honored is by walking somewhere to be beheaded by your enemy but but see that's why like and this is completely throwing out the book this is why i had my original assumptions about what this story was going to be because it does make sense that by beheading the green knight you like gain the green knight's powers for a year until you're beheaded like that is a trade right it's like i will be the greatest soldier um or i will be the greatest knight that arthur has in his armies and we will do amazing things for the next year and then i will die um in an honorable way having given arthur this advancement in whatever territories or blah 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 blah, right like that's kind of what i was establishing in my own like schnazy lore in my head because that makes sense right like you it's a trade it is you giving up your life in order to achieve something with a a year's time frame in doing it um which is why i was so like not upset but i was like why why are you just going back to the brothel like like i get you got to tell your girlfriend the story of how you beheaded the night but like now go to war go (laughs) go do some shit you know what I mean? Yeah, because because in the movie, the way he will get his honor, the way he will live up to his name is by doing this deed, doing this great thing that people will sing about. And it it reminds me, there's like an old Star Trek episode we've maybe even talked about in the podcast before, where it's these two civilizations that have been at war forever. And what they basically begin doing instead is they realize that war is costly and inefficient so instead every year you basically roll dice and have a certain percentage of the population walk into this machine and get exterminated and that is like you having a war without actually having to have people fight and wasting money and everything on that it's just let's just like roll dice and every year some handful of our citizens are going to die some handful of years are going to die they Um, couldn't do the troy thing and like send your best soldier out (laughs) no yeah no they (laughs) I mean, this is a very Spocky type episode where like, it's like, hey, this is reasonable. This is what war is, right? We're just cleaning it up. We're making it not be so painful anymore. Yeah. Um, but that episode, obviously, by doing that, shows how absurd it is to have countries fighting each other yeah. um, and just having citizens die. And I feel like this movie is basically doing that for the idea of honor is like, 
let's take it to an extreme. Like your honor is you cut off the head of someone who didn't even try to stop you. And a year later, you are going to literally go and walk to your death. So people will remember you as having been a great man. Um, and of course, the movie has some mystery as to whether it is actually going to happen. You know, characters in his life tell him he'll be safe if he wears XYZ, or maybe there's a loophole, maybe there's something else about it. But fundamentally, it becomes a movie about, I am going to do this because honor is all I have. And like, there's nothing else in the world that is worth living for than this thing. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, the ending of the movie does lots of fun stuff with that. Um, <laughs> but I... For me, I embraced that as being what the movie was about immediately when the game started. Is like this is a ridiculous game. You are you are playing this game so you can die later, but you are doing it all so you can be a great man and a knight, and people are proud of you for it. Um, and I think in that mindset, I liked that it just takes its time and has all the detours at once with talking foxes and you know uh, beheaded saints and people who steal things but then like we never find out what happened again like i i enjoyed all that because it was all about this just like absurd quest to becoming a man of honor in a world where it doesn't really make sense to have honor yeah well i think there is i mean it's if you compare it to like you know like how to train your dragon right <laughs> like mm -hmm. those those like uh, Vikings all have stories of their their tales of all the battles that they did, and sure they embellish it, but like they did actually fight dragons and fight other warring groups of Vikings, I assume. Um, so it's kind of like they are like it is about having legends, but also like Stoic is this hulking guy who yeah can go out there and fight all these things. So it's like there is backup to it. I guess I guess for me, I never believed that. I mean, we know that it's not all bullshit, right? Because when he sets out on his on his journey, you basically have like the no man's land zone, which like looks like 1917, but with swords, right? <laughs> Where it's just like yeah. bodies laying in the dirt and you're like, oh shit, there was like a war that took place over here. Got it. I see. This is like, this is crazy shit. It isn't just a bunch of people who talk about like going to war and they really just like rode across a hill on their horse and then came back, right? Like, it, so there is... Mm -hmm. There are epic battles that are taking place. We are just not seeing it in the context of this. And I assume that given that Gawain is not an actual knight, I assume that he has not seen this for himself. So for him, it's sort of, I don't know if it's a shock or if he's just too busy, like thinking about how to find the <laughs> green shuffle. <laughs> but I, I think that there is more to these legends in the story that isn't just all false falsehoods. I, I think that everything, like, I think there are real tales in this world. Yeah. Um, and like, clearly there is like magic and stuff like that. <laughs> so, so there, there are things that are taking place. Hmm. Any more non-spoiler stuff you want to talk about? It's hard to think about non-spoilery because I don't really know what would spoil the movie or not. I, I just think this is a, it is definitely a bewildering movie. Um, and I don't think it makes sense. And I think it feels really cool to watch a thing this beautiful that doesn't make sense. And I, I was happy for that lack of sense. But totally agree to your point that it does not all track. And the whole purpose of his mission does not make any kind of like rational sense. <laughs> oh, no, it's like, like I said, it's I play a lot of video games. <laughs> <laughs> and some of my expectation of the results of this like medieval shit is 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 from like the games that I play. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I think we definitely want to talk spoilers so we can really get into this film. But for now, let's go ahead and just get to verdicts for people who aren't going to stick around for spoilers. Stephen Miller, if you're going to even say must see, record with a caveat, wait for until pass with a caveat or a must avoid, what would you give it? I'm giving it a must see. I thought this was great like definitely one of the best things i've seen this year so far i was very happy to have seen it i wish i could have seen it in theaters with a little bit less crunchy darks and crunchy fog and everything but hey i'll <laughs> i'll take it every the best parts are what you mentioned the beginning and the end are both fantastic and the the aesthetic is just i can remember it so well like i feel like i'm watching it right now and i think that's just a testament to how good dave lowry is at crafting a a whole vibe and this movie is one whole vibe 
Yeah, I mean, this the, the beginning of this uh, um, film and the end of this film really had me sucked in, and then all the visuals throughout. But even just the presentation of, like, there is the queen reads the letter that explains what the game is at the beginning of this film in the voice of the Green Knight, and just that everything about the presentation of that, I was like, this is the best movie that's ever been made. <laughs> yep. Um, but yeah, so for me, it's going to be a must see as well. Even even given the fact that I didn't necessarily vibe with everything in, in the centerpiece of this film, I still think the entire whole of what it what it is um, is incredibly compelling, and I really enjoyed uh, my time with it. So cool. Um, well, Stephen, for people who aren't going to stick around for spoilers, uh, if they want to find you throughout the week, where can they do that? Uh, people can find me at twitter.com slash sdavidmiller or sdavidmiller.com. People can find me at ChristopherInRealLife.com or Twitter.com slash ChristopherIRL. You can find the podcast over at TheSpoilerWarning.com where you can get a bunch of the back episodes of the show. If you want to subscribe to the show, you can do so on Overcast, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever podcasts are found. If you want to know when the episodes go live, you can follow us at Twitter.com slash SpoilerWarning, Facebook.com slash TheSpoilerWarning, or Instagram.com slash TheSpoilerWarning. If you want to get a hold of us directly, you can send an email to fans at thespoilerwarning.com, or you can use the contact form on our site. Music for this episode will come from the soundtrack to The Green Knight, so hopefully you're enjoying that. That music is going to fade up, and when that music fades out, we're going to be off on the journey to find The Green Chapel, where we're going to talk about spoilers, and uh, depending on uh, how we enter that chapel <laughs> and what we do when hey, we get there. We'll see. This might be the last episode. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I'll see you in a second. Okay, we are back. This is Spoiler Territory. It's the after part of our review of The Green Knight. We are going to be talking full-blown spoilers, so if you don't want to lose your head, hope you've already ah. seen the film or read the story and uh yeah here we go <laughs> so did you have things that you couldn't talk about in the non-spoiler stuff against steven that you wanted to hit real fast before we start diving into uh my video game logic for this <laughs> I, I mean let's dive into your video game logic i think that'll be a better framing device okay um so as i said like i was like 100 percent on board with uh everything up until the end of the game and then I wasn't not on board, but I was confused why, you know, why Gawain was not wielding this axe for a year before he was theoretically going to lose his head. Um, so I'm like, whatever, it's fine. I get it. He's he, he is who he is. He can't really just suddenly go out and start being a great knight. That's the whole point of his journey is to hopefully become a great knight. Um, so he is just sort of and he doesn't really believe that the tale was real right he's like he's like wasn't it just a game though and then you know the the bad guy from mission impossible was like eh, maybe it's not a game <laughs> I can't do the end of all your striving um but um so he sets off on this journey right like like a video game he, he has his weapon which he got from defeating a boss and he is given a special piece of armor in the form of this this green sash that his mother has given him that uh, she says is um, has the power to prevent him from being bested by any man or whatever, whatever the, the rule is like in, basically in, in the poem. Does he get that then or not until Morgan Le Fay gives it to him later? Not until uh, he gets it from the wife of, of uh, the, the dude, whatever his name is, <laughs> Joel Edgerton. <laughs> <laughs> um but uh so he he leads with this so in my head he has two items one item that prevents him from dying and one item that is needed for the quest it might as well be a dungeon key right like if he gets to the green chapel and he doesn't have that axe he can't complete the mission right it's just it's not gonna work yeah he has the elder wand and the invisibility uh cloak <laughs> yeah exactly so it's like it's like all right so that that, that that's where we are right he sets off the the journey and then he's given his first test, uh, which is your your character that you enjoyed, um, <laughs> who, uh, you know, tells him the path to find the green chapel and then asks for some sort of payment. 
the nightly thing to do would be to give him some sort of payment that is worth the value that he gave to him, um, right. th- theoretically, and he stiffs him. You know, he gives him like one little shilling or whatever the currency is in Arthurian days. And uh, the consequence of that is uh, he gets jacked. He gets all the shit taken, um, which is pretty bad if you're on a mission that is ending in a few days and or we don't know exactly what date he set out right right it's like once he finds joel edgerton's character it's like three days before he's supposed to be there or something like that but essentially he's like let's just call it a week and the beginning of his journey he's lost the dungeon key (laughs) or the elder wand and he has lost the thing that will keep him alive Mm. i was like huh all right. So he wants to be a knight, but he's not a knight. He goes on this epic journey. All he needs to do is not die and keep this item. And you immediately take all those things from him. And I was kind of like, all right, that seems strange. That seems like a weird mechanic. I don't really understand this. Then he meets uh, the woman with the little pond. Uh, like, uh, Yep. What's the lady in the water. Yeah, the lady in the water. Um, St. Winifred. <laughs> yeah, Winifred. Um and I was like, okay, so this is going to be like pulling the weapon out of the water. Like, this is like classic Arthurian stuff, right? Um, Another Harry Potter trope. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm like, I'm like, all right, so this, this is where this is going to be. And then I was like, okay, well, I get it now. She has an actual task for him to do. And the nightly thing to do would be to complete that task. And I was like, all right, so he's going to start doing tasks and then he's slowly going to be able to regain his stuff by completing these tasks. But then he straight up hasn't learned the lesson from his first test that he failed. And he asks her what his payment is for getting her head out of the lake. <laughs> and I was like, mm-hmm. come on, bro. <laughs> like, clearly, did you not learn the lesson? Like, there's lessons. Like, I, I, I was not liking how thick-headed Dev Patel's character was. Like, do you not understand what's going on? But then he does it anyways, even though she tells him not to ask for anything in in repayment. And then he gets the ax back. And I was like, mm-hmm. mm, that's like, I kind of wish he lost more things. Like maybe his horse and his sword are there or something. And then now he's at least safe on the journey that he's going to go on. Keep in mind, I have not read anything at this point in time. I'm just like right. thinking of like, what is this world? Like what version of this story am I watching right now? Like in theory, this is like a Metroid sort of thing, right? Where you have like five minutes of the superpower to you have all your shit and then your armor gets blown up and you have to spend the whole game collecting all the armor pieces, right? Um, yeah. Like in theory, that's what it's doing, but it just gives him the ax. And I'm like, all right, so now he can complete his quest, but he'll have his head beheaded. Um, if that sentence makes sense, right? <laughs> um, right? So now it's about, okay, can he get back to get that sash again? <laughs> but then, like, when he gets to the point of interacting with the other version of Alicia Vikander, who is the wife yeah. of the guy who has played this other game with him, and I was like, mm-hmm. and when she just offers him the sash, I'm like, you just have a sash as well? And Dev Patel isn't weirded out by the fact that she has a set. Like, I didn't believe the mechanics of the universe I was watching. Like, it, it kind of felt mm-hmm. hokey to me. Um, and then, like, obviously, she she and him have an intimate moment. Um, and when he walks outside and Joel Edgerton is like, remember the game that we played? Uh, I think I know what it is. And then he kisses him. And it's like, yeah, I don't think those are equal. <laughs> like, well, I think he wa- he wants to really have an equal but uh, he believes in consent and Dev ain't having it. And then he seems disheartened. But see, but see, this, this is where the things, so this, this is where the stories verge and like, uh, verge. Yeah. Diverge. Diverge. I was like, I know that word's not what I'm saying. This is where the stories like diverge a lot. Right. Which is, you know, in, in, in both the original and in this film, Gawain goes out on his journey. Right. But for Gawain in the original poem, he is this perfect knight. And the only tests he goes through are tests of chastity. Like, mm-hmm. uh, Joel Edgerton's character, what is his name? The Lord, the Lord's wife, um, the lady, <laughs> the, yeah. the lady of the house, like is throwing herself at him in, in the original poem, like aggressive. And he's like, Nope, sorry, lady, I'm a super good knight. And then she is like, Whoa, but if you completely resist me, then like, if I ask you for a kiss, the nightly thing would be to grant me that kiss. So mm-hmm. she basically convinces him to kiss her. They do. And that is the interaction that she has with the Lord. When he comes home, he's like, Hey, 
check it out. I'd like slaughtered this giant boar for you or whatever animal it was. Um, what did you get when you were here? And he gives, he willingly of his own accord, Gawain goes up to him and kisses him and goes, there's right. your, there's your kiss. And he goes, Whoa, where'd you get this treasure? And Gawain is like, Hey, yeah. our deal was whatever I'm awarded, whatever you're, whatever you find, you will give to me, whatever I find, I will give to you. So he's not allowed to know where that kiss came from and it's like mm-hmm. a giant castle and there's lots of ladies so it could have been anyone yeah. that kissed him it's it's not a it's not a thing right so when it comes to like the third t- isn't like on the third test he gets three kisses and he gives the guy like joel edgerton's character he gives the lord three kisses and then like the thing he is keeping from him is not oh yeah your wife gave me a hand job <laughs> it is yeah. it is your wife gave me a sash that I'm trying not to die by wearing. And that is really the only thing that is the test there. So it's like, it's, it's a different mm. thing. It's where he has this test. He passes the three tests of chastity. He does the noble thing. He still does the chivalrous thing and gives the lady the kiss or whatever. Um, but he doesn't actually give in to her in that sort of way. He stays up to his nightly duties um, and doesn't like lay with her or whatever. <laughs> um, and the kiss is sort of a diversion away from the fact that he has the sash, which he needs to use to not die when he fights the green knight or whatever he's expecting to happen at the end. So I think that like the fact that like the tests are wildly different. And in this one, the test is, do you pay somebody for their services? Do you help a woman in distress? Um, do you try to take a shortcut through the giant forest and <laughs> ride on giants back? Like the tests are different and their goal seems independently like it seems like a bunch of situations yeah, i think it, it it is almost they feel like tests but it's almost off to call them tests because they don't all have obvious did you do the right thing yes or no i think like the hazy moral complications of this movie especially when i think about how the the lady and the lord story diverges from the original poem where the original poem he does the noble thing. He resists, right? And and that is the whole point. And I think my understanding is he gets the sash. And then the one thing he does is he kind of like cowardly uses it against the Green Knight in the end. And like that is the one thing that he is like nicked for or whatever, right? Is that like he didn't do the brave thing, you know? Yeah. Um, but But the Green Knight in that moment... The Green Knight basically confesses that he is Joel Edgerton. He is the Lord. And he's nicking yeah. them. He's nicking him for not being honest. But he also says like, but dude, you just didn't want to die. That's cool. I'm fine. I'm fine with that. Yeah. Go home and be free. But then he still carries that guilt with him because he feels like he failed, even though the knight like basically forgave him and said like, look, the nick on your neck, it, it counts for your payment you're all like man i would love to hear ralph innocent say the nick on your neck that would just be a wonderful turn of phrase with his voice <laughs> but like it, it you know what i mean like it, it's, a, it's a thing where he he still feels like he is a failure because he mm-hmm. didn't do the thing that he should have done um so it's like uh, like uh, like one of the things that i think is you know in, in in the film version when he's trying to decide whether or not he takes off the sash right he has this flash forward to what his life could be if he keeps yeah. wearing the sash and I, one of my theories is that that is that that thing he is flashing forward to is kind of the sequel to the actual original story because in the original story, yeah, he fails the final test, but he comes home triumphant and everybody is like proud of him and everybody else wears green sashes in honor of his, in, in honor of his accomplishment but for him, he's still tortured by it because he failed, right? So I, yeah. I, I feel like that flash that we're seeing in this is kind of what would have happened when the story ends in the original text. And I, yeah. I really... Yeah, w- without the source material, I assumed the same. I kind of assumed the flash forward was borrowing from other Arthurian legend about what Gawain goes on to do and the life that he lives after his great deed and how... And this is where I think like the it is morally complicated because... It's almost like him doing all that, not only because he was a little cowardly by fleeing and having the sash, but just like everything about him is not right or true. Like his sense of knightly honor makes him not stay with 
you know, uh, prostitute girlfriend, Alicia Vikander, back home, but rather marry into royalty. Yeah. And his sense of honor makes him lead people to war. And he's kind of seeing a flash forward of like, my idea of what honor is will not give me a life that I am actually proud of or happy with. It will still be shameful. And I kind of think in that moment in the movie, what he is choosing is not, I am going to choose honor, but I want to die. It, we're all going to die. I might as well die this way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If I go, I go out on my own terms versus like, as my yeah. kingdom is being sacked by whoever's invading and like, yeah. I'm losing all the things that I've built for the last 50 years or whatever. Yeah. It's like, he's realizing this, this life in this time and place, this mythology doesn't amount to anything. And so I'm just going to quit the game. Yeah. Um, but but so in in light of that, what's interesting to me about the way the tale at like the the palace with the Lord and the Lady changes is it is not clear at all to me if I frame the movie as a test, what the test of Dev Patel is with that Elisa Vikander and if he passes or not. Like even the but we don't need to talk about the mechanics of a hand job, but it, it isn't totally clear whether he gives in. Or not in that moment. You I know, mean, he's like kind of resisty, but then also he not. 100% like, gives, gives in. She literally says, tell me you want the sash. And then checks him <laughs> off as he's saying, yes, I want the sash. Like, right. I don't think there's a way to <laughs> interpret that in any other way. I, I just mean, he seems conflicted. <laughs> I think he's like, weirded he, out. He seems conflicted the... <laughs> and uncomfortable. He's, he's uncomfortable because subconsciously he knows the old woman is standing behind him. <laughs> Which so do you, can you tell because I think another subtext of this movie that it does mingle with the poem in interesting ways is his mother um, is seems like the person who basically conjures the Green Knight yeah. in this movie um, and in the poem my understanding is it's that old woman who is Morgan Le Fay who is the kind of evil half sister of King Arthur who is a witch right yeah. um. In the, I don't even know what I want to ask with it. I, I think in the movie. Oh yeah, in the movie, is she is that woman who's blindfolded played by the woman who plays his mom? Did you catch that? I don't believe it is. Um, I. It it might be played by. The woman who plays Arthur's wife, potentially. Um, mm, yeah, but but I I think I think the symbolic representation is just the blindfold like she is right you know spirit walking or whatever <laughs> yeah yeah I, I think i think any connections there are supposed to be purely metaphorical um but whatevs <laughs> does it bother you that he never really uses the axe <laughs> <laughs> i mean i mean i told you before like when he puts it in the box it was bothering me because in my head he was supposed to be using the axe like that's the whole point of like doing it um yeah and and also like when, when i when i watched the or when i was getting ready to watch the film my my sort of assumption is that this was going to be like you know your classic thing where people spar a bit and then somebody tries to do a big attack and the other person like swings by and then they pause for a second and then like the head slides off right where it's like they got the one good attack in right but the fact mm -hmm. that like the green knight just goes like and there's my axe and well why don't you just go at my neck i was kind of like you know this is like a bad idea right <laughs> like chop off his hand or his leg or like something that you could live without <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, um so it was definitely Chop off his penis then you won't have any tests in the future <laughs> touche steven touche <laughs> that is one way to uh obey the laws of chastity <laughs> yeah but yeah it, it definitely was interesting the way he sort of is just like he's like this can't be right right and then he kind of <laughs> like when he yells like you all remember what happened today <laughs> i was like i don't think you're doing it right bro mm-hmm I mean, that's the thing. I think in this movie, he is kind of like a little bit pathetic most of the way through. Yeah. Like he, oh, he's he doesn't pathetic all the way yeah. through, I think. <laughs> yeah. Like I only say a little bit because I think there are moments where he seems brave, but they're just like glimpses for the most part. When he has a fork in the road, he chooses the pathetic fork. Well, see, um, see that, that, that's that's one of the things, though, that bothers me about like the moving of the sash from the end to the beginning or sorry, yeah, yeah to, from the end to the beginning, 
and making it a thing that he has on this journey because he's a fucking shitty knight. Like he's not mm-hmm. like he, oh, he's not a knight at all, actually. But but like he like so having read the poem now, I believe the sash doesn't do anything. It's just a sash. Like there's no magical yeah. powers at all. Even though we've watched a film and there's a story where somebody is casting a spell that creates the green knight to test other knights, right? Like like right. even though it's a world of magic, the sash itself I think can only be a regular sash because it's not a test if it actually does protect you. So the fact that it's like he is a non-knight who has no discernible skills, he's not brave at all, and he's sort of being sent on this journey because his like uncle made him. <laughs> and he had his only thing going for him is he has a giant axe and he has a sash that in theory protects him from any harm that could come to him. And he immediately loses both when he fails his first test. And I was kind of just like, he's dead. Like, (laughs) well, I mean, in the movie shows us him being dead, right? The movie, it's another time when the movie has fun with like parallel timelines or alternate futures. It's like the idea of I bested the green knight. I'm going on this journey. Immediately. I'm dead. (laughs) Barry Keegan kills you. <laughs> it's they basically included the plot for the how it should have ended version of this story is embedded mm-hmm. in the actual film. <laughs> yep. Yeah, but but I do think that kind of twisty narrative is fun. It's like it could have ended with him just dying right there. Like yeah. he literally doesn't even make it to the end of his quest. Or it could have ended with him fleeing the green knight and just telling everybody that he did it and then living this life of like deceitful honor you know living this life where people believe that he did the right thing but he knows deep down that he didn't or maybe he's about to die in the end of this movie or maybe he isn't you know the movie closes before we could tell right the movie might be about to continue in some alternate way like we we just have no idea what's going to happen and i feel like i i like that about the movie like it it's kind of like pick your story pick whatever version of him you want and you know you want to see yeah so do you so let's talk about the ending of this film in general um (laughs) so we've already already established that in the original poem um the knight basically nicks him on the neck says like Mm -hmm. hey i know that's my sash that you're wearing um like you failed that test but at least you didn't bang my wife (laughs) and uh also uh, you're free because like it's cool to not want to die. You can just go on and, and do your stuff now. And he goes back. In this one, he finally is either brave enough to go without the sash, or as as you've sort of stated, like maybe he realizes that like it's better for him to be <laughs> dead than than for him to go back and like create this life where he is living this lie. Um, right. If the Green Knight in that version of the story. He's he's already given up the sash, and the Green Knight's going like, "Cool, now off with your head." Like whether that's a pun of like, "Now go take your head and leave," or it's, "Now I'm going to kill you anyways." Like, yeah, not killing him in that moment doesn't that also like what is he going to tell the people when he arrives back at town? Like, I took the sash off and I didn't die, and then the knight let me go. Right? Like his his legend still is not. Like, is it a legend of, is, is it just a morality tale? And does that give you the yeah. notoriety to allow you to be a well-revered knight? Or is it just? I, I think no matter what, his future, if he is a well-revered knight, sucks. And so I don't know what his future looks like when he gets back there. Yeah. You know, maybe he is properly humbled. Maybe he has seen this flash forward. And so what he knows is that, there's no reason to posture or stand big and tall. So I'm going to go home. I'm going to be with my girlfriend. I'm going to live the life with the people that I know, and I'm not going to try to be great anymore. <laughs> I mean, the, the, funny, the funny thing is like, so like all that's true. He goes back and it's the next Chris, the Christmas and he sits down next to Arthur and Arthur says like, regale me with the tale of your times as you went to go meet the green. And it's like, all right. So I drank for a year. Then I came home, stumbled home, and you were there, and you said, dude, remember your honor? And I said, yes, I do. And then I went out, and immediately a little kid stole all my shit. <laughs> then, 
there was a chicken a thing that had no head and i had to dive under the water to get the head it was super weird and then i ran out of there as soon as my axe reappeared then i saw giants and i was like giants can i get a ride and when they tried to reach for me i was like oh my god they're giants i don't want them touching me ah and i ran away then a fox talked to me and said yo you sure you want to go over this hill because you're probably going to die and i was like get behind me satan and then i went anyways <laughs> <laughs> it's like <laughs> none of his none of his tails <laughs> are great. Then I got a hand job. <laughs> yeah, look at it. it it's, that's why she has the blindfold. Mmm. <laughs> it was all long con. Yep. I still I would have to rewatch that scene. I feel like the uh the seduction scene, the temptation scene is more like obviously it happens. He does say he wants it. And she is like mingling with him, his desire for safety with his like lust or whatever. <laughs> and I think earlier up. in the movie, earlier in the movie, the like the real Elisa Vikander character makes references to him, like not getting it up or something. Like, I feel like there are things earlier in the movie too that I don't, I don't remember. I might've just misheard what she said, but I feel like his relationship with sex is very weird in this movie. Yeah. And I feel like there's a reading of that later scene with Elise Vikander where he, like, tries to resist and what she wants is more, right? Like, she got nothing out of that. <laughs> yeah. Um, Maybe she just really hated that sash. <laughs> like, he might be more like the story of Onan or whatever, and he, like, spilled his seed, you know, rather than defile. I don't know. But that's the thing. I have it, no idea. But that's the thing is, like, this is a story that is structured around these tests. And, like... In the adaptation, there are interesting things that are happening, but the tests on their own don't make sense anymore. Yeah, they don't. Um, They're not logical tests anymore. Yeah, so it's like, that's the sort of thing that, like, I subconsciously knew that as I was watching, and it's something that bothered me. And then, like, having gone back and read the poem, like, I now I have an understanding for why in the back of my head it felt weird at the time. Um, so it's like, it is really, it is messing with your idea of what these scenes are supposed to mean. And it's definitely like, yeah. like, if I was him in that moment... Like, I would be like, why do you have my mom's sash? Are you with the boy who jacked all my shit? Like, <laughs> like, like I'm, I'm concentrating and on... you're about to jack all my shit. <laughs> but, but you know what I mean, though? Like, it, it's like, I am confused as to why this... It's, it's like, now I'm suddenly in a different headspace, where it's like, I'm not even like... Yeah. Not even like, tempted by a person. I'm just like, whoa, are you also somebody who's going to steal all my shit? <laughs> So. Yeah, I mean, he he is just, like, failing through this floating, like, froth of medieval times, basically. Yeah. He's just, like, flowing through it, failing most every test, and things happen to him. He's, like, on a quest that he has no say in, basically. Yeah. That, that's kind of how it feels. But, yeah, I, I, but, it, but in general, do I do, I do like the, uh, like, say positive things again. I do like the idea of flipping it on its head. Where instead of being the perfect knight who has to learn that he is fallible, it's a person who dreams of being a knight who has to live up to the knightliness of being a knight. The problem is this film never really shows him living up to it. Yeah. <laughs> uh. But anyways, any last thoughts, Stephen? Was, was there any more spoilery things that you wanted to bring up? No, I think I think we hit out a lot. I guess my last thought is turning the Joel Edgerton kiss thing into something a little bit more like queer, more like, okay, what is going to happen here? I thought that was a fun little curveball to throw in the movie. <laughs> I don't know what Joel Edgerton wants. I don't, I don't know what the parallel fork in this movie is if he passed the test in that moment. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. He didn't pass the test, right? Because he got more than just a kiss. <laughs> right. <laughs> he didn't give it. <laughs> Um, but, uh, but yeah, the, the last thing I will say, which is technically the opposite of a spoiler, um, but it would have been a spoiler, but I, I guess it is a spoiler, but I, I'm just glad that, you know, there's that shot in the trailer of, um, you know, uh, Gawain posing and his face catching on fire. And I'm glad that that's literally like the first shot of the film, because like seeing that in the trailer, I was like, man, why are they putting that shot in the trailer? This is ridiculous. Like, that seems like it's important. <laughs> Um, but I'm glad that it was like literally just some sort of allusion to whatever. Um, yeah. so I, I was happy to see that as the very opening basically scene. Yep. The, the final thing I want to say, and I hinted to it before, but I like that 
not only does everyone pronounce it Garwin, Garwin, like there's an R sound for sure in the movie. It kind of feels like Sean Harris just did it and everyone else was like, all right, that's how we're saying it. I think that's what um, happened. <laughs> but then when Ralph Innocent is reading the poem in the epilogue or whatever, he says, Gawain. <laughs> like the moment he's not in the movie, he's like, all right, let's cut the bullshit. It's Gawain. Yeah. But I didn't know if that was another thing too, where it's like the difference between the story and the real event. And the real event is like, his name is different. <laughs> like, I don't know. I, I, I honestly didn't know if that was another weird curveball where like the, the myth is of Sir Gawain, the great or whatever. And really it's some guy, Garwin. <laughs> Garwin got a hand job. The poem. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> on that note. <laughs> Great movie. <laughs> thanks, every right, bye, everybody. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And uh, we'll see you in our review of, uh, I almost called it Evanescence. <laughs> Reminiscence. Reminiscence. <laughs> Evanescence. Wake me up!